Good morning. How are you? Great. Well, my name is Zach Wiggins. I'm the minister to students here at the Antioch campus, and I have the absolutely awesome privilege of preaching this morning. Thank you for that. Uh, I love summer. I absolutely love the summertime. I grew up in Florida. Uh, I went to the beach a lot. It was really close to where we lived. Disney World was also really close to where we lived, so best of both worlds, if you ask me. Uh, I got to go and do a ton of things with grandparents and with cousins and with family all summer long, and so that, that has built up just an absolute love of summer. As you can tell, I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt today, and I'm wearing my sandals down here. So I love summer, right? The sandals, although I can use an excuse anytime I'll wear them pretty much whenever. But I absolutely love summer. And one of the other reasons I love summer, which is a little bit more selfish, is uh, summertime is when I get to pick what I read. Uh, some of you may know I'm, I'm a seminary student, and so during the year, uh, I don't get to read what I want to read. I, I often read uh, tons and tons and tons on, on the Bible and theology, which I absolutely love, but it's just not the same, you know, as picking your own book and saying, I want to read this. This is going to be awesome. Well, one of the people that I have really, really latched onto this summer is C.S. Lewis, and, and many of us know C.S. Lewis because of Narnia and mere Christianity and, and many other classics that we attribute to him, uh, but I, I found a book that's a little bit deeper into the, the, the Lewis uh, series called The Problem of Pain. And if you haven't read that, I, I encourage you to. It's not a light read. It's not an easy read, but it's a very meaningful read, and, and, and in that book, he addresses the issue of pain and, and suffering in the human life and how those issues relate to God. In summing up the human experience regarding suffering, he says this, try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existing of free wills involve, and you find that you have excluded life itself. What C.S. Lewis is, is trying to get across is that suffering is a part of the human experience. If you call yourself a human, you will have some form of suffering in your life. And it won't be just one. It'll happen over and over and over again. So that's the human life, but what about the Christian life? Is suffering somehow different for us? When we suffer, is it, is it more meaningful? More importantly, if suffering exists as, the, uh, as part of the human experience, how should we, as believers in Jesus, respond to that suffering? Well, these are all questions that I believe our passage in First Peter will help us deal with this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to First Peter chapter 4? Uh, we'll begin in, in verse 12, and we'll be reading to verse 19. So if you will, stand as we read God's word this morning. The word of the Lord says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let 
none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. Now that we've read this text, let's walk through this passage piece by piece. And and as we do, I want to give you three ways on how a Christian should view and respond to God's design and suffering. The first way we respond to suffering as followers of Jesus is that in suffering we rejoice. Read with me again verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Uh, Peter says that we shouldn't be surprised when we meet trial or suffering in this world. If, if suffering is part of being human, it must therefore be even more a part of being in Christ and being like Christ. If, if we're honest with ourselves, though, this is not easy to swallow. Imagine the worst thing that could happen to you or your family, and then, and then having the ability to say, God is working, and so we shouldn't be surprised. That things that are part of natural life, like, like sickness, natural disaster, loss, and, and things that are brought on by our faith, uh, unfair treatment in, in your employment, be, being viewed as backward for holding the truths of, of Scripture, and in some parts of the world, even execution for your faith. These are all things that, as Christians, are just a part of our life, and we should put those things in a place of humility. We should view those things in a place of Christ-likeness, not only to be unsurprised, but also rejoice in the midst of suffering. Read with me verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may may also rejoice and be glad when his glory comes. Is revealed. Now, Peter has told us not only to be expectant of suffering, don't be surprised when it happens, but rejoice in it. Let's, let's clarify what that rejoicing looks like just for a sec. Uh, if a Christian, a fo- fellow brother in, or sister in Christ, comes up to you and said, I have cancer, yay, the Lord is doing a work in me, you would think, well, hang on, maybe we need to view that differently. Yes, my grandfather just died. God's working. No, that's not at all what Peter's saying. In fact, he's saying in the midst of that, suffer. That's part of suffering. Part of the grieving process is suffering. Part of the learning that you have a sickness is is suffering. And so many other things. What he is saying is, knowing who Christ is in your life, you can rejoice knowing that he is with you and that he will be there at the end. And that your suffering uh, means nothing compared to the eternity you will spend in his glory. 
Your suffering is but a fraction of a second when it comes to spending eternity with him. In fact, in the midst of your suffering, you Christian have a hope that that will come to pass. You have a hope that you know Jesus died for your sins. But is that how Christians often act? I must admit, in my experience in the church, especially in the U.S., uh, most Christians I know are cynics. And I'm not excluding myself in that. Most Christians I know are cynics. Not much rejoicing going on. Uh, in fact, if, if, if we have anything, we have a woe is me attitude. Uh, we, don't, we don't even have to be amid suffering to start complaining or whining about something. I've been at, across the U.S., I've served in a couple of churches, and my dad served in more than me, and I was there with that. And I can't tell you how many times whining or complaining happened when it was something about the color of carpet. I mean, come on, folks. That's not even suffering. How are we, how are we to live Christ when we can't even get the simple things right? When suffering comes, how much harder do you think it's going to be to rejoice if, if that's your problem? It's only when we start to become more like Christ. If you've ever been brought to your lowest place but still have a peace because of who Christ is in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Joy in Christ is what gives us contentment in the midst of the worst circumstances. James, uh, an author of a book that just right before 1 Peter, communicates it like this. Brothers, my brothers, count it all joy when you face various trials. Right? And, and, it, and that those trials are going to produce steadfastness. And when that steadfastness takes its full effect, you'll become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter and James are communicating the same thing here. Suffering is for you to become more and more like Christ. But that can only happen when we humble ourselves before him. When we recognize our circumstances as, as sometimes not even a part of our control. When we recognize those circumstances and submit those to him and say, Lord, this is yours. I can't do this. That is when peace happens. That is when Patience happens. That is when all of these things that come upon us that are, that are catastrophic, Christians should have an absolute peace in rejoicing, knowing who they belong to, knowing what Jesus has done for them. Speaking of, of being like Christ, let's look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter writes that we should see insult from others as a blessing from God. I don't like being insulted. And I'm going to take a bet that none of you do either. Right? Some of you handle it better than others. You let it roll off your back. Right? I commend you for that. I don't. I take it personal almost every time. Something I'm working on. But you know I mean, when someone insults you, you're like, all right, either I'm going to get back at them or I'm going to go start believe it, 
right? But that's not what Peter's saying to do. In fact, if you're a believer, this, the insults are the last thing you need to focus on. It's Christ who is the greatest blessing that we have as access to believers. That's the blessing that we focus on. In the midst of that insult, you know where you stand. In the midst of someone bringing that to you, calling you backward, calling you whatever you may be for your faith, the blessing is not, oh, I just got an insult. The blessing is in the midst of insult, I know where I stand with God, the creator of the universe. And nothing that you can say or they can say or whatever anybody can say changes that. That is who you are. But make no mistake, it's gonna happen. If you're living your faith out as you are supposed to, if you are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are standing firm on the truths of his word, insults will happen. Workplace, social media, you've experienced before. The difference is how you respond. What shows your difference uh, as a Christian is how you respond to insult. I, I, I admonish you to say, not even give it the time of day, especially on social media, guys. Come on. It doesn't matter. We, as followers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will face difficulty will face challenge. We shouldn't be surprised by it. In fact, we should rejoice knowing that God is in control and that he has blessed us with life abundantly in Christ. Which leads us to our next point. In suffering, glorify. Let's read verse 15 together. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Uh, I, Uber Eats delivery on the weekends. I like it because it shows me some cool restaurants to eat at, gives me a little pocket change, gives me the real Kansas City experience. Uh, it's real fun. I'll let you ride along someday if you're really interested. But, let's <laughs> all ride along with Zach. Anyways, um, well yesterday, I was pulling out of a quick trip. I've, I've filled my... Uh, car up, and I was in Leewood, right there on State Line Road, and I did what some of us, not all of us, but some of us uh, forget to do, and that is put my seatbelt on, all right? Anybody ever forget to do that? Nobody? All right, y'all are, some of y'all are liars, you need to work on that. <laughs> Anyways, forgot to put my seatbelt on, and lo and behold, a, a, a police officer, Leewood police officer, pulls behind me. Well, instantly I go, oh, and I pull my seatbelt over, and I click too late. Uh, so he, he puts his lights on. I pull over, and, and he was very cordial. It was very nice. He said, you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir, I sure do. You know, one of those. And, and so he, uh, he said, well, here's your ticket. And it's like, man, hoping for a warning, but okay. And uh, so now I owe the city of Leewood $30 because, you know, Leewood needs $30. But <laughs> I, owe, I owe the city of Leewood for $30. Now, if I take the, the typical cultural Christian approach, I'm going to say, well, I was just doing the Lord's work. And uh, just the devil, man, he's just, he's ganging up on me. 
And I, this is just a, a result of that. I'm just trying to be a good, faithful follower of Jesus. Well, no, that's dumb. I've, I broke the law, right? I should get a ticket for breaking the law. That's the way it is, right? That's exactly what Peter is trying to communicate here, right? Don't be surprised when suffering and, and, and trials come before you for your faith. And then especially don't be surprised when suffering comes because you're just being dumb. Because you're not behaving yourself. Because you're not living like Christ. Right? Peter knows better than anyone that often suffering happens because of our sin. Think of Peter denying Jesus on the cross and having to face Jesus after that. However, I think we may all have a problem of blaming our suffering on the culture around us when really we're just suffering as a consequence from sin. We like to play the Christian victim card. All these things are happening to me because I'm faithfully following the Lord. No, they're probably happening to you because you're being dumb or you're being a jerk. (laughs) One or the other. Uh, It's that easy. In this list, Peter mentions murderers, thieves, and evildoers. And and you're reading that and you're going, all right, not a murderer, got that. Uh, Not a a thief. Okay, maybe I stole a piece of candy when I was like four or something. But it's been a while. I'm pretty sure that one's checked off the list. Evildoer, I'm a pretty good person. All right, I'm not an evildoer. And then that last one hits, meddler. And there goes my good list. Because if I'm honest with myself, I like to meddle a lot. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us are better than others, but we just can't help it. We like to meddle. My great-grandmother, her name was Frances, she had a lot of awesome little quick, wise sayings, and one of them that I heard quite a bit was, uh, mind your own beeswax, right? Which is just, mind your business, right? Just mind your business. Peter is essentially telling the Christians here, mind your business, right? You are about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are about living out the life that Christ has asked you to live, Why do you care about anything else? Why does it matter to you? If you're doing those things, you're good. Quit meddling. Let God do his work and you just be obedient. It's simple, it's as simple as that. So don't be annoying. I mean, that's as simple as I can say it. And if you choose to be, don't be surprised when people treat you in a way that you don't like. Let's continue on in verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter clarifies for us, just in case we didn't get it, uh, what our suffering should be a product of. If we're going to suffer as believers, let it be for the glory of God of God. Suffering happens in our life for a reason. Read any book in the New Testament and you'll see that each of the authors see suffering as an opportunity. In in fact, in Sunday school, our students, uh, as many of you, are going through the stories in Acts of Paul. Uh, And just a couple Sundays ago, we did a story of Paul before Agrippa. And in that story, Paul endured injustice and suffering However, God used him in the midst of his suffering to bring glory to his name. In front of the entire Roman and Jewish court in that region, we see that our suffering has a purpose. There's no such thing as as suffering without purpose for a believer. 
It's one of the things that separates us. And that purpose is simply glorifying God. Another instance in the Gospels, a man is brought before Jesus who was blind. The Pharisees ask him, what, was it his sin or was his parents' sin that made him blind? And Jesus answers that he was made this way so that the Father would be glorified. And Jesus healed him. Every bit of suffering, every bit of trial that you have been through and will go through, and that I have been through and that I will go through, is an opportunity to glorify God in a way that shows the world how great he is. There are times maybe when we won't understand that suffering. In fact, I would argue more often than not when you're going through it, it won't make sense. It's, it's those times when you have to cling to the fact that you know who God is, not how you feel in that moment but you know who Jesus is and you know what he did for you and you know what he's working out for you. But I guarantee, maybe in this life, maybe in the next, you will be able to look back at those times and see how God used a seemingly impossible situation to bring glory to himself and bless you. I mean, I, I think of so many times that I've been through something that's rough. Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, for instance. I can look back and, at that and see, all right, I was in sixth grade, didn't really know what was going on, but I look back and I see, look how God used that. Look how God grew me through that. Look how God showed me to appreciate his church more through that. I guarantee you it will bless you. But what about you? When suffering comes your way, will you be ready to rejoice in the midst of it? Will you be ready to glorify the Lord in the midst of it? Will you show that despite your circumstances, that God is still good and still worthy of your praise to a world that needs to hear it? If that seems impossible, that leads us to our next point. In suffering, trust. Read with me 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What Peter is talking about when he mentions judgment in these verses is, is not a judgment of, of sin, right? That's happened already on the cross for you and I. That certainly will happen for others who don't believe in him at the end of the age, but it's a different kind of judgment. It's true that we don't have anything to worry about regarding our standing with the Lord if we believe in him and believe what he did for us. But in this passage, it should be more defined as a testing or a refining. Just as God tested the faith of Abraham and tested the faith of Noah and tested the faith of Moses and so many others before us. It's a judgment to see who really believes what they believe. The judgment, and, and it begins with us. All of these things I've mentioned, the rejoicing and the glorifying in the midst of suffering, that's God's test. And it's a test that proves that he loves us, 
Because at the end of it, we're blessed. We are the household of God that will be tested in trials and sufferings. And all those exist in part so that God may test our faith. It's no trivial thing to be a believer. It's no trivial thing to be a Christian. These verses are so important because if we're not careful, we like to think we have a God who wants what we want. A safe life where our our children and spouse have everything we could need and a little of what we want. Brothers and sisters, God promises quite the opposite. Read book after book after book in the Old and the New Testament and you will see that's not how it works for the people of God. Yet, in the midst of that suffering, He promises that he will not only be with us, but he'll get us through it. And not only get us through it, that we'll experience his glory for an eternity. Imagine how necessary your suffering is going to look in heaven. Imagine how necessary the Lord uh, thinks suffering is for your life. That's not an easy thing to grasp. And and maybe I've said all of this and you're going, it still doesn't make sense, Zach. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story and hopefully it'll make sense. About four years ago this May, uh, my my wife was pregnant with John Silas, our little boy. Uh, If you haven't met John Silas, you need to. He's pretty fun. Uh, I'm a little biased, but you know. Anyways, we were going into a... um, well, there goes sonogram, I think. I think that's the wrong word, but there it is. And they were looking at him, and all of a sudden, there came kind of a question of, looks like he's hiding his hand, and we need to get a specialist on that. So they sent us across town to a specialist, and they looked and looked and looked and looked, and still no hand. So the specialist there said, here's the reality your son is going to be born without his right hand. Not something a parent really wants to hear. Not the worst thing ever, but still. So Samantha and I wept a little while in grieving for our son that he's going to have a bit of a different life than many others. And then we said, God, we trust you. We trust that this is your design. We trust that this is your plan for John Silas's life and that he will glorify you despite this. He will glorify you in the midst of this. What I didn't count for is how early he started glorifying God for it. What I didn't count for is how God is already working in this three-year, almost four-year-old's life. The other day, Samantha and he were at the playground, as little boys love the playground. Uh, It's a constant question in our house. Can we go to the playground? So Samantha took him, and he's loving it. He's running around being a boy going crazy, getting to the top slide, sliding down, all that kind of stuff. Well, Samantha's sitting on the bench, and he climbed up, and then all of a sudden things got quiet. Anybody who's a parent knows things get quiet. It's not good, right? Uh, But it took a turn for a different. It wasn't a, what are you guys doing? You're not supposed to be doing that. It It went from silence to laughter. Samantha looked up, 
and there are kids who probably should have known better, that were pointing at his, well, we call it a nub, pointing at his nub and laughing at him. Now, thankfully, I wasn't there because I would have gone to jail for, for beating some kids up. But Samantha called him down, and he came down the slide, and he's crying, and I mean, he just had five kids just pointing at him and laughing. And she said, what happened? And he said, well, they were pointing at my nub and laughing. And Samantha said, well, that's, that's not very nice, is it? He said, no, it's not. She said, oh, are you okay? He said, no, it's okay, mommy. God keeps me safe. From a three-year-old. He was born with something that he wasn't able to control, that he had to deal with for the rest of his life. This isn't the only instance that this will happen. We know. Kids are mean. <laughs> but in that moment, he was able to say, this is wrong, but I am emotionally and physically secure in who God is. We, we dealt, or we dug a little bit further into that. He said, he keeps me safe just like he kept Jonah safe in the belly of the whale. So he's connecting it with Scripture. Folks, that is our response in suffering from a three-year-old who doesn't get life at all yet. <laughs> that is our response. When things are going wrong, when things are happening to us that we, frankly, don't deserve or are unfair, he didn't focus on the insults. He didn't try to get back. He said, no, God keeps me safe. Was it a saddening moment? Absolutely, for him more than it was for me. But he knew where he stood. A three-year-old. God's amazing. And I hope you know that. I hope you know that you are safe in his hands. I hope you know that he is worthy of every bit of your trust. And that none of the rejoicing or the glorifying will happen unless that trust is there in the first place. Having that foundation is so key to all of this. Knowing that I am safe and secure in who I am in Christ no matter what may come my way. Is that how you view suffering in your life? Are you currently going through suffering? Many of us are, I had a pastor once say, you're either going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm when it comes to life. And that's very true. But where's Jesus in the midst of that? Is he your foundation? Are you, is he your foundation enough to rejoice and to glorify him in the midst of those times? Let's pray.